welcome to the live Philosophia Perennis classroom and chat room. Of course, it's not the Philosophia Perennis. Tonight we begin the study of De Omine from St. Thomas Aquinas. And of course, if you don't know, we are listening to one of St. Thomas Aquinas's more finer uh, musical masterworks, and that is Edorote de Voote. Um, uh, that he composed, and uh, as you are hearing right now, being sung beautifully. Uh, I am your host and moderator, Mike Church, and uh, we are uh, blessed to be here in your presence. If you'd like to join our chat room, it is live on my website at mikechurch.com. If you just let the top slider scroll for a couple of seconds, you'll see the De Omni classroom and chat room. Uh, click on that. When you get to the page, no login is required for this. You do not have to be a member. You don't have to log in at any stage of the game uh, until you get to the chat room box at the top of the page. And you can log in as a guest, meaning you can choose whatever name you wish and make your own password up. Or you can log in using your Twitter ID or the Facebook. Let's just go over the ground rules. We'll meet here every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. on the East. And we'll go on for, 54, uh, for about 55 minutes. And each one of these episodes is being recorded, and we will present these as a podcast. And if you're on the page, the Deomine page at MikeChurch.com, if you scroll down the page a little bit, you'll notice that there is one uh, digital media file in uh, that podcast uh, that will be populated with all of these uh, recordings. And that's where you will find each week's recording. They'll all be placed right there for you. So if you miss a class and you want to hear Brother Andre's instruction, then uh, please, that is where you will go and find it. Now, we will go live to the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire, where Brother Andre Marie, M-I-C-M, is standing by. And uh, Brother and I and some of you that are in the chat room right now have just completed a one-year and seven-month-long course in Philosophia Perennis, which was a fantastic preparation for the Almanade tonight. And, uh, Brother, uh, I know that there were some notes that Brother Francis was reading from, from the lecture that we listened to, lecture number one. Uh, I don't know if they exist in PDF form, and you can post them, uh, but maybe we can get our hands on them for the future. Uh, brother, it is great to have you with us. We're blessed to start another class tonight. Laudator Christe. Laudator Jesus Christus. Hello, Mike. Hello, brother. Uh, let me introduce Brother Andre Marie. He's also the host of uh, Reconquest here on the Crusade Channel. A new episode airs every Wednesday night immediately following the former philosophy of Padenis. And tonight, following the Omine, uh, we will be here for 31 weeks. Uh, of course, that won't include holiday weeks or any other weeks where we need to take a break sometime during the summer, I would imagine, um, until we complete the course. And as I said, um, if there are notes, written notes, that we can... Um, uh, that brother can add to the group. He always does, and he places them uh, a Dropbox a, a Dropbox link into the uh, into the chat. So uh, I suppose that we'll start tonight with a, with a bit of an introduction. And uh, why don't you tell? Because uh, we have lots of new uh, new classmates tonight. Uh, there's plenty of people in the chat room. A lot more than there were at Philosophy of Perennis. Uh, you're obviously live in Richmond, New Hampshire, at the St. Benedict Center. And the St. Benedict Center was the final resting place of Brother Francis Malouf. But he did most of these lecture series as part of the St. Augustine uh, Institute series that he did back in the 1980s. Just a little background on the De Omine course before we get started. Well, uh, sometime shortly after Brother completed all of the, the philosophy lectures, uh, they were looking for other subjects to drill down deeper into. And 
they asked he was asked if he could do something more on just man more on the the what we call philosophical psychology so he obliged by kind of giving a, an overview of saint thomas's um, treatise de homine in the in the summa it's one of 35 treatises in the summa so that's basically the background uh, I think we need to kind of plow right into the subject matter because it's really kind of dense, and we and we need to start talking about um, what Brother Francis begins a course with immediately, which is the passions. And there are eleven passions. There are eleven passions. Yeah, and I think I think it would be um, very appropriate if um, if I if I get, did a little housekeeping first. Uh, then there are notes that go with this course. They're not Brother Francis's notes, but they're notes that were, were taken from uh, by uh, Brother Lawrence. Mm -hmm. And I am going to pop these into the chat room. So there's a Dropbox link now in the chat room that will take people right to um, right, where the um, where those notes are. And you can see that there are notes for lectures one and two at that Dropbox link. We're going to keep populating that with more as they get made. I'm, I'm, I'm adding another um, link, too, in the um, chat room, and that is to a chart that was drawn up that Brother Francis is going to be referring to in tonight's lecture. And I called this chart the powers of human nature. Okay. Now, that should have just showed up. There is... Um, there are two pages to that chart. The second page is not going to be the subject of our study. It's the first page that is uh, that is all going to be um, relevant to our course, and it's very important. Okay. As many people as you can can get to that PDF file, so you see that chart. Um, Brother Francis mentions a book. Somebody, some people asked about a book. Um, and if you want to follow that book more closely, it's not required, but if you'd like to, Father um, Glenn wrote a book called The Tour of the Summa, and I have a link to it on uh, Amazon.com there if you want to find that book. He makes reference to it, and in fact, in this first lecture, he spends a bit of time on it. And lastly... I have a little, um, it, it's a, it's a twofold thing. It's, it's something that, that will help in the understanding of this material. And it's a commercial for the reconquest. It's going to happen right after this show. And this is a link to the show details page of reconquest.net. I figured because I was preparing for this, um, class tonight, I figured I would, uh, do a show on the passions. So we we uh, I, the show that's going to come on right after this class on 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 the Veritas Radio Network is going to be um, called "What Are the Passions?" <laughs> so the subject what a shock! Uh, <laughs> it, it, it it will be covered in a certain um, I guess economic detail with. Um, Sister, uh, Sister Maria Filomena and I were discussing the subject because she studied all this from Brother Francis too. Uh, now, uh, brother, uh, so we have the the notes, the power of human nature. We, you said there was a page that was come, were going to come before that, but I didn't see it in the room. Um, the first, yeah, so, somehow a bunch of people either joined or quit all all at the same time, and that link got got uh, bumped up. But I think it was at the Dropbox link. I think it was the Dropbox link. 
Maybe you could repost it because I'm buried. Okay, I don't see it in um, my room, but that, that that's fine. I'll put it back down. So if if, if we're going to be going through the basically, we're going to be using these notes to assist us in our discussion tonight. Um, so over an overview. Let me just give a quick overview. Okay. Now this is hard to do quickly, but I do think it's doable. We begin with there there being twenty six powers of human nature. And if, if you could look at that chart called the powers or faculties of human nature, you will see that there are three things that we have in common with vegetative life. In other words, vegetables, trees, uh, trees and um, all plants. And that is that we're all capable of nutrition, growth and reproduction or assimilation, growth and generation. Uh, same name, same thing, but different names. The, everything that's living is capable of those three powers. Um, but as soon as you enter up into the next higher rung of, of being, and you talk about what we would call animals, but what's philosophically called sentient beings, because they have sense, huh? they can feel, um, they have both external senses and internal senses, when you get to those things, and that includes us, because man is a rational animal. What defines us, of course, is our rationality, right. but we are still animals. So if you, if you take above those three powers that the, the plant life has, you will see that immediately the fourth um, power, uh, four to eight are our external senses, that is touch, taste, smell, hearing, and sight in, in ascending order of, of importance because sight is the most sensitive and the most, um, it's, the, it's the sense that gives you the most information. Um, now, next to that, we have our inner senses, um, which are localized in the brain. If you look at the way that the chart is, is structured, the left-hand side has cognitive powers and the right-hand side has appetitive powers. So very briefly, I think it's necessary to review or, or introduce what that means. Cognitive, of course, coming from the Latin word for knowledge um, or the, the verb for to know in Latin is cognoscere and it passes into certain uh, romance languages that way. Right. Uh, and appetitive, you think in terms of the, the appetite. Right. So the appetitive powers, uh, they, they desire, whereas the cognitive powers know. So one power, set of powers knows, the other set of power desires or wills, or you could even say loves. It's attracted to the things. Okay. So our, our sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch are all powers that give us knowledge. And the inner senses, which are all localized in the brain, and we won't develop these now. We just have to be aware of them for now. That's all. The, the sense memory that's in the brain, the imagination, whereby we get all of the, the data from our senses stored in our brains, all of that is part of our man's knowing apparatus, you might say. But on the other side, once we know, we either like the thing and we run away from it, or run toward it rather, or we, or we hate the thing and we run away from it. That appetitive side 
that's what we're focusing in when we talk about the passions. So the passions either are either drawn toward or uh, averted away from something. Okay, that's the baseline concept of the passions. Right. And it's appetitive. It's it, another name for the passions is the appetites, and yet a third. Uh, and and there, I'll give you a third and fourth name: the emotions and feelings. So this is something we have in common with the animals. Animals love and hate. They desire. They experience aversion. They experience pleasure and pain. They have fear and daring, hope and despair, and anger. Those are the eleven passions. We'll, we'll hear them reviewed over and over again. Brother talked about them, named them several times. But these ba this basic concept is either an appetite toward or away from something which is known. Obviously, you cannot love something if you don't know it. You can't hate it if you don't know it. You have to have at least some remedial knowledge of the thing. And by knowledge, we don't necessarily mean knowledge, an advanced knowledge in the intellect. Uh, a rabbit knows enough when he sees uh, a, uh, a, a, some, some predator to run away. So he has, he has sense knowledge. He has from his sight or from hearing or whatever senses he's gathering the information from in his brain. And he gets that cue to run away. And that's a result of an animal passion uh, in this case of, uh, of hate, but, but it could, depending upon the nature of it, it could also arouse what's called the irascible passions. Right. So, so hopefully everybody understands now that man has two sets of powers uh, once we enter into our sentient life, and that is that which is cognitive and that which is appetitive. By the way, over and above the senses and the passions, we have another set of cognitive and appetitive faculties, and that those are two, and those are the highest, our intellect and our will. And that's what sets us off from the animals, <clears throat> because the animals have all those other things. In fact, the animals have all those other things sort of in a, in a, in a much more reliable way than we do, because, we don't, because uh, they don't have an intellect and will. We use the intellect and the will, and, but all they have are those uh, senses and those passions. And uh, brother, uh, brother Francis spent the first part of the uh, uh, the Almanac lecture number one when he got into the passions uh, with uh, what I thought was a uh, uh, a very well thought out and uh, very practical uh, statement that all of the passions none of them can exist if there is not love. Love is first. Yeah, and, that's right. That's that's one of the baselines of. Of all of the of all of the passions. So now that we now that we more or less quickly situated the passions in the whole makeup of what humanity is, now we need to talk about the distinction that exists within the passions. And by the way, if you're new and this sounds like a new language and you've never heard this stuff and you're discouraged already, stick around because a lot of Brother Francis's technique uh, is repetition not for the sake of boredom or because he ran out of things to say <laughs> but because he was a very good teacher and we have a principle repetitio smarter studiorum repetition is the mother of learning so we have to go over these things over and over and sometimes it takes a while before 
you know, you've heard the explanation several times and then suddenly you hear it from the right angle and it, and it clicks and you suddenly get it. Um, so don't be, don't be, um, don't be daunted by, by the task. Right. And don't be daunted by the terminology either, even though he does ask at the end of this, uh, the, this, uh, this lecture for everyone to go home and uh, to learn and to memorize the 11 passions. It's not that large of a task. But you can ask any of the guys that are in the chat room that have been here for quite a while, Joswell and Craig Silverman and uh, Troy Clayton and uh, Richard Bianconi and others. Uh, and Brother was right. Brother Francis teaches in a beautiful circle, and you won't even realize that he went in a circle. But uh, the circle always moves towards the next goal or the next, uh, the next issue or item to be taught. But he has this just built-in internal clock that he revisits and revisits. And after uh, after a, a, a couple of lectures, you'll start to you'll you'll start this will start to sink in. Then wait a minute, I know this. As he's yeah. saying it, you'll say, "Wait a minute, I know this. I know what he's getting ready to say." And it's really uh, it's a very it, 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 what brother is saying, and I can vouch for this. Don't be stressed out about the terminology tonight and oh my oh my i gotta memorize those i don't know any of this doesn't matter relax enjoy the company in the chat room and enjoy the brilliance of saint thomas aquinas through brother uh, francis maloof and of course to our uh, our wonderful teacher here brother andre this is the daomine classroom and chat room uh part on the crusade channel and we are live on my website i'm your host and moderator mike church all of these uh, sessions tonight, including your questions uh, and, and the answers provided by Brother Andre Marie, are being tape recorded and will be available as a podcast the day after each, le uh, each lecture is discussed here. We'll meet every Wednesday night right here at 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. on the East. Uh, it's free of charge. Don't cost nothing. And you're welcome to invite your friends, your classmates, whoever you wish. Anyone is welcome in the chat room. You do not have to be a member of my site. You don't have to be a member. If you're looking for the audio feed, well, you would know because you're listening to me now. And uh, Brother uh, Andre is kind of giving us a little crash course and an introduction in the early phases of lecture number one, which if you downloaded the series is uh, De Omine uh, One, I think it's called. Uh, brother, where do we, uh, where, where does Brother take us after this brief introduction? Okay, I think next we should go into the distinction between the two different kinds of passions. Now, we're, so we're going to introduce, there aren't a lot of million dollar words in the course, but two of them <laughs> are right here. <laughs> We've got the concupiscible passions and the irascible passions. Right. Um, Brother Francis will say it concupiscible um, <clears throat> because um, he probably knew the word in Latin before he knew it in English. And he is Lebanese, so mm. he has that accent. But the word is properly pronounced in English, concupiscible. Brother, sort of Latining, Latinizing it. Okay. And and irascible. Now, some people would be familiar with the concept of concupiscence, and in a lot of different kinds of devotional writing and and other other writing, the concept of concupiscence is sort of like corrupt or sinful desires. The concept of the concupiscible passions is related to that, but you've got to strip out of it the notion of evil. You've got to strip out of it the notion of necessarily corrupt. Um, so con uh, concupiscible comes from the Latin word concupiscere, meaning to desire. Okay. 
And um, we have in our nature these six sort of uh, powers of desiring, love and hate, desire and aversion, delight and sadness. And these, the concupiscible passions are directed to the good simply considered. Now that simply considered is important because when we get to the irascible passions, we're going to realize that there's an element of difficulty and fight in the irascibles. So that's what sets them off from each other. But this is, by the way, this is this list of 11 is original with St. Thomas. He did not get this from Aristotle. He actually expanded the list that he had inherited from others, including St. Augustine, who only had one, Passion of Love, and um, um, Cicero, who had four. St. Thomas goes into detail defending why his list of 11 is comprehensive and correct. <laughs> so we don't, we don't need to defend it so much as learn it and learn what it is. Um, so the, the, the concept of concupiscible, it, it reduces to the idea of desire, the simple desiring passions. Now let's see what makes the six concupiscible passions different from each other. Okay. Obviously, when you've got love and hate, you've got a pair there. Those are opposites. Desire and aversion are also a pair of opposites, as are delight and sadness. So immediately you see that parity, that pairing of opposites. So if you look at the positive ones on, on, on that list of six, you've got love, desire, and delight. And this has to do, the difference between these three has to do with whether the, the good that is loved is simply thought of whether it's absent or whether it's present. So simply considered, regardless of whether it's absent or present, let's take a, let's take a, throw me, throw me out a favorite food or beverage or something, Mike. Uh, chocolate milkshake. Chocolate milkshake. Okay, so do you love a chocolate milkshake? With chocolate chips in it and whipped cream. Boy, hell. Okay, so chocolate chip. Okay, so the aforementioned ch uh, uh, chocolate milkshake is something Mike Church loves. Now, the fact is you love chocolate milkshakes whether you've got one in front of you or not. It's sort of an abiding thing, right? Yes. So love and hate have to do with being directed towards the thing or away from it, simply speaking, whether it's present to you or not. Uh, when the thing is absent and you really want it, you desire it. Got it. Got it. So the good that's loved when it's absent from you is desired. Now, on the other hand, if it was an evil or if you, did, if you didn't like chocolate milkshakes, if you had some sort of lactose intolerance or whatever and you got sick every time <laughs> you went near one, then you would have an aversion, right? Right. When the thing is absent. So, the, so desire and aversion, when you talk about the passions, has to do with whether it's absent or not. Jazzle says cigars and scotch. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's keep it simple. Um, and then the last set is delight and sadness. Now, that is when you've got the good present. So let's take, let's, let's, so, so when Mike Church has, when somebody, you know, when, when, um, when Candace brings you the, the milkshake, the chocolate milkshake at the end of a hard day of philosophizing, it sticks it in front of you and you start gulping it down, you have delight. Yes. That's the passion of delight. 
So when the when you know simply considered, Mike Church loves chocolate milkshakes. When it's absent and the heart grows fonder, he he desires it. When he's got it in front of him and he's enjoying it, that's delight. And by the way, enjoyment or joy or rejoicing is another way of saying delight. Okay. So the opposite of all those things, obviously, is hate, aversion, and sadness. Now, th this, this is uh, how you can learn from a chocolate milkshake. We've just explained the six concupiscible passions in those terms. It needs to be said that these passions are something we have totally in common with brute animals. So their food, their you know, shelter, all the, uh, and their, their prey, or their predators, when you talk about hating them or, being a, or having an aversion or something like that, um, or all of those things are things that they experience. Yes, animals experience sadness, the passion of sadness. Uh, when, they, when they are trying to get something that they can't get there without it, they go hungry. That passion is sadness. Okay. So we're, we're, we, sometimes it's important to explain the thing in the lowest common denominator, and sometimes it's important to explain it at the highest common denominator. So again, these six we have in common with everything. And when you talk about love, you might say, yeah, but we're talking about loving a chocolate milkshake. That's so disedifying. I mean, <laughs> you know, you should love God or you should love your neighbor. Or you should. Yes, absolutely. Love is an extremely polyvalent concept, meaning meaning that it's got multiple layers to it, multiple gradations or perfections of love. Philosophically speaking, um, a, a rock loves the center of the earth, so you drop it from the window and it goes towards it. Love is a simple attraction to a thing. So an animal, uh, 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 your, your dog is simply attracted to the dog food or to the bone that you give it, okay? That is properly called love. It's not the most elevated love. There's nothing altruistic about it. It's not heroic, okay? It's, not, it's certainly not theological love. It's not the love of God, but it is love, okay? And without love, you don't have any of the other passions because ultimately they all have some, they can all somehow be reduced back to love, because if you didn't love something, you wouldn't desire it. You would take no delight in it. Okay, and that even goes over to the irascible side. So hopefully now we've got some little glimpse at what the concupiscible passions are. And I think brother explained it very well with the example of the dog and the bone. Yeah. That, now that when he talked about two dogs fighting over a bone. Right. Right. Is that what you meant? Well, no. First he talked about uh, um, uh, dog loves to eat. And a dog loves to eat bones, and uh, the, so then he uh, he says the dog loving to eat the bone and thinking about eating the bone, that's his desire. And then when he goes out in the yard and he smells it and he digs it and he knows it's buried just a little bit and he digs it up and he starts eating it, then that's his delight. So uh, he broke it down like, kind of like you said to the lowest common denominator using, I think it was the dog that he used in that, in, in that lecture. Yeah. So, yeah, it's important... Um... Sometimes we have to look at them higher. Sometimes you have to look at them lower to realize we're talking about something that's common to all, all sentient life. All sentient life has the passions. So now I think we're ready to look at the irascibles. Now, I said that concupiscible comes from the word for desire. It comes from concupiscere, to desire in Latin. Okay. The word for anger or wrath in Latin is ira. 
I-R-A. And we have certain English derivatives, you know, don't get my ire up. I-R-E. I-R-E, it comes right from the Latin. Sure. It just means ire, it just means anger. So those familiar with the DSERA, it, it literally means day of wrath. That's that, that, that um, hymn. So the word irascible comes from the words for anger in Latin. And sometimes you describe people as being irascible, you know, easily aroused to anger. So just as the sort of the baseline um, uh, emotion in the, in the um, concupiscible passions is desire, the baseline emotion in the um, irascible passions is anger. But you'll see right away when you look at that list that there are five of them, not six. And you will therefore see that if there is some sort of a pairing, one of them is, well, lonely. <laughs> one of them is without a partner. Right. And that happens to be the very one that gives its name to the list, anger. So um, we've got daring and fear, <clears throat> hope and despair, and anger. Now, daring and fear, um, you can see are easily are opposites. And Brother Francis points out, now, keep in mind, all of these are for the good of the organism that has them. So every animal, every man ha that has these needs them. You might say fear is a bad thing, but I would say, au contraire, mon frere, if you <laughs> are um, driving down a street and suddenly you realize that there's an eight, a 22-wheeler chemical tanker in your lane driving right at you, the passion of fear of getting smashed is going to um, compel you to get out of the guy's way. That's right. So all of these are integral to the nature and necessary. So Brother Francis talks about how certain animals are very known for their fear, and he always picked a squirrel. <laughs> so around here, too, we have chipmunks. So you see these chipmunks, and, you know, they're darting here and there, and, and, and any, anything else moves in the woods, and they're gone. I mean, they, they just they, they make a beeline for the nearest hole or tree or whatever to get away from it. That fear is very important for their survival. And even fierce animals uh, have, have the, uh, the passion of fear and, and need it for their survival. So daring, of course, makes you brave in the face of, uh, of, of something difficult. What these irascible passions have in common with each other is that they're not directed to the good simply. They're directed to the good as it is difficult to achieve. Let me, let me say that again, and then I'll try to illustrate it. The concupiscible passions are directed to the good, simply speaking. Mike loves the milkshake. It does it, whether or not Candace has put a lock on the refrigerator where the milkshake is, Mike loves the milkshake. Yes. But, but if you make the milkshake very, very difficult to get, and suddenly Mike has to be like Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark and run through some sort of a, a dangerous, deadly uh, path uh, in order to get the milkshake, now you've got the irascible passions. Now you've got the irascible passions being aroused. And you have uh, daring will be aroused when you have to leap across, you know, <laughs> the, the ring of fire in order to get to the milkshake. <laughs> 
uh, or, or fear might be aroused when you see that Candace has a baseball bat and standing in front of the standing in front of the refrigerator, keeping you from getting the milkshake because after all, Lent's coming up and you have to get ready or whatever. Uh, true. Um, and the same thing with um, uh, let me see, I lost my list. Hope and despair. Now, let me point out that some of the things on this list parallel other things that are studied elsewhere in either philosophy or theology. So just like we've talked about love, the love in the concupiscible passions is not the love of God, you know, theological charity, which is a theological virtue. It's a very simple concept. At its highest, it is theological charity, but, but that's not a passion. Okay. Neither is the passion of hope on the irascible side to be confused with the theological virtue of hope. Neither is despair, which is the opposite of hope, to be confused with theological despair. You know, I'm going to hell, I can't do anything to be saved, I'm, I'm, I'm lost, you know, that's despair. But the, the, the um, oppositeness of hope from despair is obviously the same, whether you're talking about theological hope and theological despair or the passion. And what is the passion of hope? It's it, when there's a possible good that's difficult to achieve that you have hope for. Mm -hmm. I hope I get that job. I hope I win that lottery. Um, I hope I can jump up, if I'm a squirrel, to that next higher branch because if I don't make it, the bear that's chasing me is going to catch me. It's going to okay? eat me. You're talking about a difficult good to achieve. And if in, in the face of that, if it's possible, you have hope, the passion of hope. But if it's not possible, you have the passion of despair. That's the opposite of hope. And then lastly, when the good is inevitably made... Can you hear me, Mike? Loud and clear. Okay. When the good is made inevitably present to you and you can't get around it that's when you have anger so anger is experienced in the presence of a difficult to achieve or you might say it's it's experienced when the the good that was difficult to achieve is certainly lost or when the evil you're trying to avoid with difficulty is made present to you and the reason that anger has no opposite on the concupiscible sides is because if you successfully avoid the evil that you're trying to avoid, okay. you therefore enjoy a good now, and you have delight. So the, where, there, where, where the struggle ends... And uh, you, you don't have a present evil, but you have a present good. Now you have delight, um, also called um, uh, enjoy, joy. It's also called joy. So, it, so that's why anger, that's why there's, there aren't 12 passions, but there are 11 passions. So I gave the um, list and went through them really quickly. If anybody has any questions about any of the particular passions and you're in the chat room, now would be an ideal time to throw something at me about those. If not, I'm just going to move on. 
Well, let me give in a, uh, a little ID here. This is the De Omni classroom and chat room live. Tonight is Wednesday, February the 8th, 2017. I am your host and moderator, Mike Church. I am at the Crusade Channel Studios in Mandeville, Louisiana. Your host and teacher, Brother Andre Marie, is at the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. Brother is always uh, hiding in plain sight. If you have questions for him after a classroom, you can find him on the Twitter, at Brother Andre, on Facebook, Brother Andre Marie, and, of course, always on the website at Catholicism.org, and that's where you can also find all these materials and many more from uh, Brother Francis Malouf that uh, will edify your uh, edify your soul and uh, your intellect, including Philosophia Padenis. Brother, before we move on quickly, give us a quick preview of what is on tonight's episode. What are we at? Uh, episode number 63 of Reconquest with Brother Andre Marie. Yeah, we're actually at episode 62 of Reconquest, and, and um, I, already, I already gave it a commercial because it's called What Are the Passions? <laughs> so it's the same subject. Well, only Sister Maria Philomena and I um, sort of trade off duties of explaining it. Well, fantastic. Uh, folks, that will be coming up immediately following this presentation at 7 Central, 8 on the East. And, of course, if you miss any of the previous 61 episodes, well, then uh, you can download any or all of them at crusadechannel.com or find Brother on the, uh, on the World Wide Web at reconquest.net. Okay, uh, brother, uh, brother Francis, after his uh, explanation of the Eleven Passion, did move into a little bit of new territory, and we've got, we've got plenty of time to discuss that tonight. And I'm looking to see if there. Um, well, we do have a question for, uh, from Richard uh, Bianconi, uh, brother. Is there ever an occasion for there to be a situation where neither a passion or its op uh, or its opposite? For example, I understood the absence of love and hate to be indifference. Yeah, well, in that case, the, the passion's not aroused. You don't have the passion aroused. If you're indifferent to the thing, there is no passion. By the way, let, let's explain really briefly what the concept of passion means simply. Uh, the word, the, the brother talks about this in the lecture, uh, the word passion in English comes from the Latin word passus. Uh, we, we get lots of different... Um, words in in it from it in english we talk about the passions we also talk about the passion with the capital p of our lord and what does that mean well it's talking about suffering okay the generic concept of passion means to suffer or to undergo it doesn't necessarily mean it's painful so it's an undergoing it's something under which you are passive get it passive the concept of passive comes from passion so it's an undergoing and you talk about the active voice and the passive voice and in grammar right it's all related to that well he also so, explained it using the word patience yeah patience is another thing you, you you're a patient a patient in, in a hospital is somebody who undergoes um the the treatment sure a, th a therapist, by the way, is, is active in his treatment. A patient undergoes it. He's passive. That, that's, what, that's what the words mean, and that's why they sound similar. Pa patient and passion and passive, they're all uh, etymologically related uh, to, to the, the, the Latin word for to undergo, patsur. 
So that's that. That's where it comes from. A passion is an undergoing. And by the way, it helps to explain that another word for passion is emotion, and that means something which moves you. We, we you even hear the word motion in emotion. So it moves you. You are moved. Okay. So Richard Bianconi is asking, what about if you you know if if somebody puts something in front of you and you neither love nor hate it, you're indifferent to it, it's not moving you, it's not making you undergo a passion. So there is no passion aroused. So yeah, that that there is there is genuine indifference. I mean if if one lion sees another um, animal, if a lion sees another animal on the field that it's neither drawn to as food or nor does it fear as it, its own natural predator, it could have a certain indifference. There's no passion being around. It, it knows about it because it sees it or hears it or, or smells it or whatever. So the cognitive side of the animal powers are being utilized. But because an, an enemy or a food or a, an adversary or whatever is not being recognized, the passion's not being aroused. That's a good question, Richard. So I think we can move along. Okay. Um, the, ha the, the passions are not evil. Ontologically speaking, they are good. Morally speaking, they can be directed towards moral good or they could be directed towards moral evil. So what do I mean when I say they're ontologically good? Meaning they're part of the makeup of the human person. And God created man to be good. We are good. When God created, he looked at his creation and he said, it is good. And in so doing, he, he shows us that there's something about our nature which is good. Now, the fall happened. Now, I realize I'm introducing Revelation. This is, an, this, is, this is an explanation theologically why the passions are the way they are. Um, they're, they're not predicated to moral good or moral evil, but because of the fall, because there's a disorder between the good that we know in our intellect and the, the lower goods towards which we are directed by our passions, there can be at times a conflict. So to give some of the most obvious examples, um, uh, yeah, let's get back to Mike's milkshake. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Um, now, it could be morally good for Mike to sit there and share a milkshake with his daughters before they go off to college at LSU or whatever. And, um, and when Mike has the milkshake in proper moderation and everything, it's morally good. He can, in fact, be practicing virtue by showing moderation the way that he enjoys his milkshake and not wolfing it down like a slob. However, because of the fall, our passions are disordered. It doesn't mean they're predisposed to do evil all the time, but it just means that there is a disorder and they have to be disciplined, right? And that's where virtue comes in. The virtue here would be the virtue of temperance. So if Mike sits there and gets himself sick because he's had 12 milkshakes <laughs> uh, uh, then or we go back to to um whoever it was that suggested was it richard whoever it was that suggested that uh cigars and and and, and scott joswell scott if you get yourself ill joswell okay if you get yourself ill from having too much taliskers or some other single malt scotch or something 
um, then you've been immoderate, you've been intemperate, and therefore your passion, your love for that thing, or your desire for it has run amok, and you've done something morally bad because okay. you've violated the virtue of temperance. And by the way, when the, the concept of virtue is, of course, across the board, culturally and, and historically. Okay. It's, naturally speaking, all of the philosophers talked about man becoming virtuous. That was our ideal. Aristotle talks about it. So, uh, of course, it's it's something which in 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 the when we introduce the concept of revelation to it, or I should say, when we introduce the data of revelation, we get a whole new appreciation of what virtue is. But without having the benefit of revelation, various uh, pagans of antiquity who were great philosophers, great thinkers, realized the importance of virtue. Man ought to do good and he ought to avoid evil. That's sure. part of the natural law. So the pursuit of virtue is a natural law kind of thing. Okay. So virtues are very necessary to help us regulate the, temp the uh, I almost said temperaments. They're very important to help us regulate the passions. And Brother beautifully simplifies it into saying that the of the four cardinal virtues, namely um, justice, prudence, uh, fortitude, and temperance, two of them regulate uh, the irascibles, or one of them rather, fortitude regulates the irascibles, and temperance regulates the concupiscibles. So remember Mike's milkshake, that's a question of, of concupiscible passions. Right. But if we're talking about the irascible passions, which have to do with the difficult good, then we have to introduce the idea of fortitude. Because fortitude is that virtue that pertains, as St. Thomas would say, to the arduous and to the difficult. And another name, by the way, for fortitude is daring. So it's, we see it as one of the, as one of the, the uh, five irascible passions. But as a virtue, fortitude keeps us from being um, unreasonably scared with the passion of fear. It, it, it makes um, courage to be authentic and not foolhardy. Okay? Okay. Because you have some people who think they're practicing courage, but they're actually being idiots. And they're practicing a vice, which St. Thomas calls foolhardiness. Kind of like what uh, like we saw the, on the, the guy that always says, "Hey guys, watch this!" before he does something dangerous. <laughs> or to, I was going to say the uh, the women that showed up at the uh, women's march back uh, two two Saturdays ago. Okay, yeah, 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 and, and and I guess you'd have to have fortitude even to watch the stupid news reports. <laughs> I, I I couldn't watch it. Um, so temperance, of course, regulates the concupiscible appetites, as we said, so that you don't overindulge in the thing that you love the thing that you desire, the thing that you have joy in, huh? <clears throat> because ultimately, if you, if, you, if you satiate all these appetites um, with you know, nonstop, that becomes he, what we would call hedonism, okay? Um, all right, so I think we can pass on to the next thing, and that is that um, every passion has an, abs has an aspect of good goodness to it, all of them can be perverted. All of them can be misdirected. Right. So if we didn't have the passions, we wouldn't survive. We wouldn't be drawn to eat. So um, uh, obviously one of the strongest passions in man 
is uh, sexual attraction between a man and a woman. And, and in a way, it's comparable to the appetite for food in an individual. What the appetite for food and drink is in the individual for the, for the uh, preservation of the single unit, me or you or any one of us, sure. the, the, uh, the sexual attraction is for the preservation of the species. So without that attraction... People wouldn't just go randomly doing the, those acts which are necessary for reproduction. So God made it in, so that there's an aspect of pleasure to it, and we are attracted to that thing. And of course, that too needs to be disciplined, and that's why the virtue of temperance, part of the virtue of temperance, is what we would call the virtue, the more specific virtue of chastity or purity. So there's an aspect of, uh, of goodness to them all. They're all directed to, to things that are good, but they might be directed towards the, the thing that's good too much, or they might be directed away from something that's perceived as an evil, but really is a good, like eat your spinach, Johnny. But mommy, I don't like it. But eat your spinach, Johnny. It's good for you. Now, brother, we have about uh, three minutes to wrap up. And uh, I just wanted to say, as I'm listening to this, and uh, I listened to the lecture twice, and I listened to your, your explanation, and uh, looking in the chat room here, I'm just wondering how the amoeba that crawled out of the primordial sludge, how did it create the 11 passions? Um, I, I, I think Carl Sagan explained the, the facts of life to it. <laughs> That's how ridiculous. Now, folks, just, just, just as the preview of some of the thinking that you're going to be able easily to, 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 get, to get into now, you, you now see that the human mind and our intellect and the way we use it is not just some melange that just happened, as all the liberal philosophers have told us and all the atheists and heretics, but actually has a very beautiful very controlled and very specific plan to it. And as St. Thomas uh, can even explain it to you and can, he, he, he can even assign numbers to it and give you a number of how many passions it is. That's how beautiful and precise the creation is. You, know, you think about that next time you're in an argument with a uh, um, uh, someone that thinks that they crawled out of the primordial sludge. Brother, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to distract. just want to kind of uh, give a, a little real-world uh, zing to that. Uh, we've got about two minutes left uh, to wrap up, and for you to make any closing remarks, and then give us a give us a homework assignment. Um, yeah, well, the homework assignment would be uh, you could re-listen to lecture one if some of these things, if if maybe you had a, a bulb go off tonight and you, and you want to sort of strengthen it, listen to Brother Francis again, and you'll pick up on it. Another homework assignment, obviously, is going to be to listen to um, lecture two for next week. Um, Brother Francis gives, I didn't, I didn't get to it, but Brother Francis quotes St. Thomas talking about the despotic rule and the political rule that we see in, in man. And uh, that quote is in the notes, and I, I even have the Latin perfectly corrected, because he, <laughs> he insisted on reading it off in Latin, too. It's on page it's one. It's actually a quote from Aristotle. It's not from St. Thomas originally. Okay. Aristotle's quoting St. Thomas. I mean, uh, St. Thomas is quoting Aristotle. And it's the one that begins with est quidim and animali? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. 
And and brother encouraged all of us to read that quote. Even if you don't uh, speak Latin, you could figure out the um, you, you you could read it phonetically. Um, and I think you'll see that there's a pattern to it. Um, and it, it's quite I know I know just enough to be dangerous, not nearly as enough uh, uh, as much as brother or as brother uh, Francis did. But, folks, these are great. To, uh, take the lessons home. Um, uh, we've got about a minute and a half left here now. Take the lessons. Uh, memorize the 11 passions. I think that that was his uh, that was brother Francis's homework assignment. Remember, there's a brand new episode of Reconquest coming up immediately after uh, the conclusion of this show, so you're not going to want to turn off the Crusade channel. And we'll all listen to uh, De Omine, lecture number two, and uh, be well prepared for next week. Now, brother, uh, we, we actually have uh, just about 30 seconds to, uh, to, to close up, and... Um, I guess you could give us a blessing. <laughs> uh, well, look, I'm, I'm putting my email address up in the chat room. If anybody has a, a question about any of this stuff during the week, I'll try to do my best uh, to get to get to you. And I'm also going to throw up, for Thomas's benefit, uh, all of the links that I gave out tonight. So he's got them all in one place. Okay, that about wraps it up for us. Uh, thanks to all of you. Gosh, what a great start. What a great cl- crowd. Thanks to Brother Andre, of course, for kicking the class off. For all of you for attending this. Mike Church saying so long. See you next time here on the Crusade Channel.